We're unpeeling it, folks. We're pulling back the layers. We're seeing right through it. It's Brian Johnson's Glass Onion, a podcast upon said subject. We are Sanity at the Movies. I'm Nathan, your humble and host. That is Ben. He is the preacher who's the teacher of cinema. Hello. Ben, introduce the mm. Benoit Blanc of our podcast. Sure, I will. He's, uh, he's able to detect anything, folks. He's Pastor Jake Mensel, the, the pastor who's a master of detective movies. Thanks. I don't know if that's really true or not. But is he the master of detective? I'd say, uh, who here? Probably, yeah, sure, Jake. Jake's the master of detective movie. In terms of who's the most likely to figure out the movie before it's done, I think Jake would take that, that honor. Before it's done or before he's even seen it? Uh, also before he's seen it. Mm-hmm. I have similar skills, but I have more idealism than Jake in some ways. Everyone, of course, knows me as the idealist to Jake's nasty cynic. <laughs> That's how people think of us on this podcast, I think. And so I'll be like, well, yeah, but maybe they'll do something good. And then Jake will be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Ray's not gonna go bad, and Luke Skywalker's gonna come out, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and I'll be like, "Yeah, I guess you're probably right." And then it'll turn out he is. <laughs> I'll be like, "They could have all the Jedi actually show up to help Ray in Ghost form," and Jake be, "No, we'll just hear their voices." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is the kind of thing that has happened. You're right. <laughs> <clears throat> um. And Ben will be like, have you guys seen Return to Oz? <laughs> ben? <laughs> Are you on the same planet? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, folks, we're peeling back the onion. Glass onion today is uh, the podcast we're doing. Yeah. Uh, I don't have like big context or anything. Baggage. What baggage do you have with Glass Onion? This is, of course, Ryan Johnson's follow-up to Knives Out. <coughs> His Agatha Christie pastiche kind of movie of a few years back that was very popular and has had a happy life on streaming and Mm -hmm. other things. People have had fun discovering it. And it's one of those movies that people say, have you seen What Knives Out? It's a really fun movie. It's one of those movies. People like to talk about it. They like to tell you about it. They Mm -hmm. like to make sure you've seen it it, because it's fun. And I'm not arguing that it's not. It is. It's one of the few movies of the last 10 or so years that I've rewatch just because hey like for pleasure yeah it was it was fun in its way that things about it i didn't like but it's just nice to watch a movie that start to finish a movie setups payoffs characters yep stuff like that, that stuff. good good script good performances good interesting camera shots yeah. like all kind con- like every aspect of that movie there wasn't anything about the movie from a craft craft perspective that you could really pick on too much like it was all just kind of really there. It's yeah. like, hey, you know, Agree. You, you don't have to like Ryan Johnson. You know, he doesn't like you, but he knows how to make a movie, and not many people are doing that. And so, which to be fair, I've always said the same thing about Last <clears throat> Jedi. What a movie! I mean, what a movie! What a wonderful evocation of everything that we love about Star Wars. I, I hate where the script goes so much that I hate the movie, and um, I hate his politics. I hate how they inform the whole casino. I mean, there's so much to hate about that movie, but man. The little dogs with crystals on the salt planet and the red salt and the like, just the tactile feeling of Star Wars. The only thing that's even come close has been Rogue One, and I don't think it really comes that close. Like Rogue One, no, it's ridiculous. I remember sitting in the movie and thinking, like, 
Wow. For the first time ever, I feel like I'm in a Star Wars movie for the first time again. Like, like this has not happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm experiencing Star Wars again for the first time. Yeah. And yet, just like, yeah, I, I think I hate everything about all of this. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is kind of a good summary of my relationship to Ryan Johnson's career. He's a very talented gentleman. You're going to hear us. We're going to do kind of a Ryan Johnsonian time leap because you're going to hear a podcast that we recorded before this one, but it's coming after this, which is our podcast on Clueless. And for some reason, Ryan Johnson came up in that one. And I talked a little bit about Brick, his kind of calling card movie that he spent his 20s trying to make and then finally made, and it got him a foot in the door. It's like a completely alienating conceit. It does not work for me at all. I sit and I watch the movie. I don't understand why it was made or who it's for. And yet, it's undeniably really, really, really well made. I've never seen the Brothers Bloom. He's got a really small filmography. <laughs> I've I was saying to Nathan before this. I've seen Brothers Bloom. I remember liking it. I actually think I could go back to it and probably find it a good movie. I don't think it's infected with, but I, I could be wrong. It's been a long time. I don't think it's infected with the rest of Ryan Johnson's ideology. It's, it's kind of a con man story with Adrian Brody, Mark Ruffalo, and Rachel Weisz, right? It's yeah, it's a con man story, but it's magic realism, and so it's like a comedy drama with some pretty actually dealing in a interesting way with some heavier subject matter so well i'd like to see it i'll tell you what i wouldn't like to see again was brick which is oh no no no, not brick um looper looper yes which i didn't see did you see looper jake yeah i saw that one i didn't know anything about ryan johnson i think i saw it in uh back in the days of red box or something like that it was just like oh looper is the quintessential red box ah movie Bruce Willis and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Le- and mm-hmm. we'll give this a shot. And yeah, I didn't didn't care for it. It's a downer. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of it's like this. There's a lot of talent here. It's very clever. It's, it's got the rules of its sci-fi world, and it's looping back on itself and all this stuff. But man, it's just a uh, it's an off-putting movie. I think most of his filmography is off-putting in kind of the same mm-hmm. way. Last Jedi really draws you in, and then is like. Oh, yeah, and by the way, all your heroes suck, and Luke Skywalker's <clears throat> uh, drinking green milk from the teat of and I hate space you, cow, and I hate and you. And I hate Star Wars. And and optimism and hope, and people need something to believe in, even though I don't believe in anything. It's just like a really weird movie. Mm-hmm. And then I went and saw Knives Out. My Knives Out history is I saw it in the theater, and I did not realize I was going to a pre-release screening, but I was. It was, you know, how they sometimes they'll release a week earlier in certain mm-hmm. theaters, and so you go with super fans. And so it was a super fun experience because it was a packed house. And I love seeing not an action movie play like an action movie. Like when a, when a movie's just so well done that an audience is sitting there and they're into it and they're gasping and they're laughing and stuff, even though there's not obvious, you know, punchlines or violence to get that out of them. It's really fun. So, I mean, I've had a couple. I remember No Country for Old Men was like that, strangely enough. Saw it with a big crowd. Saw it, There Will Be Blood that way, uh, whatever year that was. A um, number of art films came out that were like that. But and Knives Out was like that, where the whole audience applauded at the end. They just had fun with it. They were laughing at all the jokes and into the characters. And when she, the final little punk rock moment where she uh, holds up the mug at the mm-hmm. end and takes a sip from it wild applause even from me who hated the politics of the movie and hated how much the movie hated and stereotyped 
MAGA and all the all the kind of cheap shots that that movie takes. Had real mixed feelings about it, but the entertainment value of the movie is just so undeniable that mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about the mixed thoughts after that. I was like, oh yeah, this is a good movie, even though it hates me. You got early Anna de Armas, you got Daniel Craig, you got a murderer's row of suspects. Got Chris Evans and probably the first and best of his I hated being Captain America <laughs> <clears throat> and I want to make sure you know it roles. And you've got what uh what's her face? There's any number of what's her faces. Yeah, I know. Tony Collette. <clears throat> Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh-huh. I always love Jamie Lee Curtis with her even Michael Shannon. Oh yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Plummer was awesome. <coughs> oh yeah, Christopher Plummer's really sweet in that movie. Great swan song for him. Uh, and it loops back on itself, and it's got oodles of plot, and it's well done. And uh, D- Daniel Craig plays a character that uh, is clearly based on the cartoon character of Foghorn and Langhorn. <laughs> <laughs> no actual basis in Southern culture whatsoever. The plays the broadest, <clears throat> most scenery-chewing character of all time. In the, in the promo material for Glass Onion, you know, some of the stuff that were coming out, there was a thing where... Brian Johnson was talking about how, as he wrote him, he wrote a slight Southern accent Mm -hmm. for Benoit Blanc. And then Daniel Craig just sort of like created his own character and hammed it up. And nice. Yes. The whole thing was just like, well, okay, (laughs) that's what you want to do with it. Well, I mean, lean into it. Chris Evans is playing the I'm not captain america daniel craig is clearly playing his i'm not, not james, james bond, bond yeah. role and boy does he want to make sure that you know <laughs> he's not james bond he's doing commercials with taika watiti now where he's dancing and stuff daniel Belvedere, vodka stuff super gay it's not so much that james bond has de- derailed his career but he might end up derailing his career just by going too far to try and tell people i'm not james bond but he's doing fine daniel craig he's he's doing just fine so uh, that was 2019. Knives Out came out pretty universally beloved. Everybody likes Knives Out. I've not. I don't think I've ever talked to someone who's just like Knives Out. Ugh. I mean, people like as we've established Agatha Christie. One of the cardinal rules of being an artist is steal where no one else is looking. Everybody was everybody. I mean, Agatha Christie's never gone out of style. It's not like no one was looking there. People were making Agatha Christie adaptations by the bushelful. But Ryan Johnson was like, I'm going to make an Agatha Christie type thing, but I'm going to set it in the modern period. I'm going to deal with modern issues, and I'm going to kind of let the Agatha Christie of it all sneak up on you a little bit, even though it's a very classic old dark house kind of Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. It's got all the tropes, and yet I'm going to revitalize them in such such a way that by the end of it, you're like, oh, that was an Agatha Christie, and I like Agatha Christie, and that was fun, and it played by all the rules, and it, it wasn't, didn't really violate anything. At least not any more than Agatha Christie would violate her own rules. Because mm-hmm. as Ryan Johnson never tires of pointing out in interviews, Agatha Christie was the original person who subverted all the tropes. And he's just f- following her spirit. Which is true. Agatha Christie loved to do things that broke the rules. like Murder on the Orient right. Express is classic example. Spoiler alert. They all done it. She also did The Detective Done It. Which are both cheating, right? Like the whole, the contract with the reader is somebody done it. And she's saying, no, I violate that. And the contract is also the detective didn't do it. He's impartial. He's an impartial observer. But she was willing to subvert. She was. She. She also did. Nobody done it. And or I. I haven't given you enough information. I mean, and any 
subversion of tropes that you could name. Agatha Although Christie Doyle did first. Nobody Done It. Yes, Doyle did some good Nobody Done It's. I mean, anybody that worked long enough in the genre had to, had to do break the rules like at that, some point. Yeah. In order to keep it interesting. In order to keep it interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Anything else to say about you guys' baggage? I mean, I think we're pretty thoroughly on record as to our thoughts about Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi and all that, <clears throat> the decline of Western civilization. I like good, well-made movies. Me too. I hate Ryan Johnson. Me too. And I like a good mystery yep. detective movie. I like a good ensemble cast. Like, said everything going for it, but Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, I I want to be very clear about this. I love a good mystery movie. I love a good Agatha Christie because people might think if they know the history of our podcast, Nathan just hates Agatha Christie. I do hate Agatha Christie. It's true. I hate Agatha Christie because she's taking what should be a two-hour movie and demanding that I read it for eight hours. And I resent that because there's not enough meat on the bone to actually keep me engaged and entertained for the eight hours of reading the book. But two hours is the perfect amount of time to spend with Poirot trying to solve a mystery. So I do not have any problem with, like, I love the, what's the name of the famous Poirot interpreter? Not Kenneth Branagh, but the guy. David Suchet. Yeah, I, I love the David Suchet yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's awesome. By and large, I enjoy watching his things and trying to guess. And like, I like these kinds of things. I just prefer them in cinematic form. I think books are better suited to other things. But uh, I'm just a terrible snob and Agatha Christie's great and everybody loves her. As we've established many, many times. You happy, Danny? We have a friend named Danny who likes to comment on my Agatha Christie commentary, comment, commentary in the conservatory. Laboratory. In the, labor, <laughs> yeah. in, in the lavor, laboratory. The laboratory. <laughs> the laboratory. <laughs> they make the lava. Dexter's laboratory. Okay, so Glass Onion came out on Netflix. We all watched it. And we're very topical. Dropping our hot take after the Christmas season. Hey, we took a couple weeks off for Christmas. What do you want from us? What do you guys think about Knives Out Mystery, comma, Glass Onion? I don't know what J- Jake watched it last night. I haven't heard his thoughts. Maybe he loved it. I didn't love it. Uh, it had some fun moments. Had some funny moments. It also became a drag. I think the whole second half was just a drag. I didn't enjoy it. Man, the way it ended really sucked. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the way it ended sucked. The way it second ha- half sucked. It's just too long. Like it's too. It's. I mean, I'm generally the, the, the school- minute we could decide to go back and now, uh, what's her face is playing. Uh, spo- okay, we're, we should just say spoilers. Spoilers from here on out. Full spoilers. We all hated the. Or me and Ben, I know, hated the movie. Would you go that far, Jake? Based on based I, I on where it ends I, up. I don't. Well, okay. the, the watching of it was pleasant enough. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, yes. It was after that I began to decide I hated it. But you think you give it a moment's thought, and you're like, I've given it, it a few weeks' thought at this point, right. and I've only it's only gotten worse in the rear view. So. This, is, this is pretty. It's pretty despicable. I mean, yeah, I I would say philosophically, I hate it. It's an it was a, an enjoyable enough experience. Nowhere near the caliber of Knives, Knives out. out. No, well, the ensemble cast just doesn't measure up for one. For two, it, it's got way too much fat. For three, the stru- structurally, it just doesn't quite. I think there's a structural problem. Yeah, well, I mean, you could have shaved off the first ten minutes of like they could have. This movie could have started on the dock. You really, there's so many things like that where it's just like you want this to be tight. You want it to feel like it's moving. That's one of the things that's so enjoyable about a mystery. It's one of the things that's enjoyable about Knives Out. We're but. supposed to be, you know, establishing all of these characters and setting things up, and it just <laughs> doesn't do a good job of establishing them. And some of it's just like no. some of it. I think it's just 
casting like Leslie Odom Jr. It just doesn't bring as much, you know, Dave Bautista, uh, uh, the 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 ladies in the in the none of them really bring enough real ability to establish themselves as a character. Or maybe the script's just I, not there. I, I or, blame the script, but I maybe they're to blame too. I. It, I do think it's a combat. Like if you sub in, if you just think of the other cast and you just sub in Jamie Lee Curtis or uh, Michael Shannon in a couple of these 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 roles, it would help. I think it would have helped. But uh, I mean, just just if thinking back to Knives Out, which I saw pretty recently again, it, in 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 the opening scenes, you have all these scenes where the whole ensemble cast is in the room together, and you're getting all these layers and these cues about their relationships what they say they think, what they really think. And that's part of the fun. This cast is all like in separate places with their own context. They're not establishing any relationship cues with each other. Or they try to over the phone in the first 10 minutes. But the, but the script just doesn't layer them like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Knives Out. It's just like layer on layer. This is already funny because this is how families are. Oh, I, I love that person. <coughs> really, they hate that person. You know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. This movie is like no one here. There's no work being done like that you know yeah i, I agree well, the with worst actor in the first one's chris evans yeah and, yeah and he's not bad well i also just think as i agree with ben but i also agree with jake that the as 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 icons as iconography like you could say get me a jamie lee curtis type and they just got jamie lee curtis like you you we all have a relationship with jamie lee curtis we know who she is we mm-hmm. know who tony collette is michael shannon always plays these intense kind of guys chris evans has a certain thing that we're aware like all those characters are like stereotypes but and then those stereotypes can be subverted and built on and stuff like that but they're all really strong types and knives out it's 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 much less clear kind of like for example dave batista we all love dave batista he's really good at playing dumb kind of drax characters but it's not he's not actually aggressive enough as a personality type to play the kind of uh character that he's typecast as. He's, well, he's not the right typecasting for that character. There's only one joke with him, which is that he starts emasculated and he ne- that never goes away. Right. right. Oh, 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 that's funny. You put, for example, Michael Shannon in that role and it's like, okay, I understand this guy. Yeah. He's a bundle of insecurity and of aggro masculine right. qualities. There's any number of men you could do that, but uh, what's his face actually isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think across the board, it's like, okay, you know, Leslie Odom Jr., he can play this, he can play that. Which one, you know, you put Jamie Foxx in that role to take an obvious black guy analog, yeah. and it's like, well, I know who he like is. It's sort of like who Leslie yeah. Odom was pl- felt like he was playing. Right. It felt like Leslie Odom Jr. was playing Jamie Foxx, playing this character. And, right, let's just get muted. Jamie Foxx. Muted yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because he doesn't, I mean, Jamie Foxx is a sort of a generational type talent. like. Leslie Odom Jr. is a fine actor, but he's not that level of... We're talking iconography here, right? The, the, Part of the fun of that first cast was the iconography of... Well, even even in the first cast, I didn't know... But is it Don Johnson, right? Jamie Lee Curtis's husband? Yes. Okay. So. He's awesome. Yeah. I don't know what else I've ever seen him in, but I just understood him right away. Yeah, he's got that. He's got the iconography even if you don't have a relationship yeah. with him. I, I'd say the exception to that rule... In this movie, the person who actually does live up to that is Kate Hudson, who we as an audience have the proper relationship with, and she just plays. I mean, it's a very broad, stupid character that she's asked to play, but we do instantly understand who this character is, mm-hmm. what her deal is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not surprised at the dumb thing, you know, uh, what was the joke about sweatshops and stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> Don't tell me you thought <laughs> sweatshops made sweatpants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's she's almost 
Yeah. But 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 uh even just in terms of like jokes and lines, okay, that was funny, but to compare it to Clueless, which we just would have had ten of those lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. And they would have landed better. Right. Yeah. There's so much to talk about why this movie doesn't work. I mean, you have to put up with there's all these things. So we're we're into spoilers now. The movie doubles back on itself, like knives out, about halfway through, it reveals a whole nother side of the story like actually we've been looking at this wrong the problem is or one of the problems is you have to put up with the lame version of the story for the first half of the movie which means you get a really neutered bumbling benoit blanc and you're like i don't remember him being this bumbling you eventually figure find out that it's an act yep he's not actually that bumbling but that doesn't stop the fact that you've got to put up with an hour and a half of this character kind of just feeling silly not like exactly what you remember i mean benoit blank was silly I mean, he was a caricature mm-hmm. in the first movie but not in the same way that he is in the first half of this movie and it's kind of like yeah it's it eventually twists like you eventually realize oh it's more interesting but that doesn't mean you didn't have to put up with 90 minutes of what wasn't mm-hmm. interesting well part of what was fun about the first one is that it wasn't a benoit blanc movie right that's it right. was a movie right and benoit blanc was another colorful character who would just sort of dance in and out of the scene. This was a Benoit Blanc movie. And I think that when it's that pulled the rest of the ensemble cast down and it's part of why like people are really excited about gay Benoit, Benoit Blanc. And a lot of like, if you've seen some of the trends as people have watched this movie, they're like, ah, oh, I would, what I'd really like to see is a Benoit Blanc Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. You know, where, you know, he's in a Muppet movie surrounded by Muppet characters and he's the only human in the movie. Like, I think that's a tell about what happened with this movie Mm -hmm. that's actually a flaw. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, the first movie's about the caregiver in this messed up family. Benoit Blanc happens to be in it. Benoit Darmus is very much the protagonist of the first movie. Right. And we understand that she's the protagonist. And Benoit Blanc is just the... He is what a good detective should be in a classic murder mystery. He's just the deus ex machina on purpose in a good way. He is the God's eye view observer that comes in and that fixes everything essentially. But it it doesn't matter who he is. He's got a few colorful traits like a detective is supposed to have. But as a character, he is just playing the role of, I don't want to quite say God, but you know, he's just this agent that Mm -hmm. comes in. And and does things to the plot. And that's what a, de- a detective is supposed to be. He's mm-hmm. not ever supposed to be the protagonist of a classic mystery. I mean, it's one of the things that frustrates me, but it is correct that Poirot actually isn't the interesting part of a Poirot story. Miss Marple is not the interesting part of a Miss Mar- Marple story. It's one of the things I don't like about the genre, but I think it's it's a thing that's proper about the genre and that's, it works well in Knives Out. It, that's, I just, side note, that that's not true it's mostly not true for the Peter Whimsy books I've read. Yes. But it works. But those are like different kinds of books. Yeah, those somehow. are the kinds of mysteries I suspect. I've not read those, but I suspect that I would like those. I like the Raymond Chandler mysteries because they're right. about the character of Marlowe, who I like, and right. his interactions with people. But a lot of people, like like Jake and Brandon and the Booketing, had trouble with that because they're like, where's the plot? Where's the mystery? Is something <laughs> supposed to be happening? I'm like, it is. We're hanging out with Marlowe. Isn't it great? And they're like, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> We thought something might happen in this <laughs> mystery story. <laughs> like, why does something have to happen? It's atmosphere, baby. He's having a drink or something. <laughs> smoking a cigarette. What do you want? 
A story. <laughs> <laughs> and Raymond Chandler was famously bad at stories. The the story, the anecdote I've told a million times is on the Big Sleep. They forgot who killed killed the chauffeur. They called Chandler to ask him, and he had no idea <laughs> because it just doesn't matter who killed the chauffeur. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but but Ryan Johnson's really smart. What he realizes, he he does one better than Agatha Christie because he's like, we do need rooting interest. We do need a character that really matters. It's not the detective. It's Anna de Armas. She's you know, this sweet maid character has a compelling relationship with the old man, all this stuff. Um, and he tries to do the same thing. But he doesn't give you anybody to hang your hat on for the first half of the movie because you don't really know. I mean, he, he does give you Andy. It is, but it was sort of like, it was just a different, it was clunky, right? Like, yeah, it's like, okay. Like I said something to Amanda early on. Oh, uh, I saw the purse... So there's a scene and they're like sitting poolside and there's like a couple of different little things happen and you're like, okay, this is a plain sight movie and this is going to double back. We're going to get all of this from a different perspective and there are things happening in the background that are going to be reinterpreted. And so like I noticed the purse, like something got thrown in the purse or the purse jiggled or something over her shoulder mm. and the way that the framing was working with her hat and the purse, I was like, okay. So we're supposed to just sort of watch and observe all the things that are happening in plain sight. And if I do this right, I'm going to have this figured out before the second half reveal comes. Right. As far as that went, I was like, okay, I, I can play this game. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. And then when the second half reveal came, I was like, well, that's not fair. I guess I'm just along for this ride. Yeah, um, he, I mean, he wanted to... I mean, I certainly guessed that that she didn't, she didn't actually die, and he was diverting away. Sure, but well, it, it was like, just like I, okay, I just didn't I, feel like it was playing I fair. Didn't, with I, did, I didn't guess that, but yeah, I think part of the thing that didn't feel fair to me. This is only as we've been sitting here that I've thought of this. Is that it feels when you get to the to, to the big reveal and the doubling back, it actually feels overpowered. Like, eh, you guys have too much. I mean, maybe if she, I don't know, it's like she was she was too but good. That's at it part of the meanness of it is because. Because uh, what's his face's character? Man, Ryan Johnson wanted to let you know how much he hates Elon Musk and thinks he's stupid. Now, Jake, he said in many interviews that it's not specifically about Elon Musk. And it's okay, just fine, a, but it is. Come on, come on! What a joke! <laughs> Even to say that it's not is just like have the courage of your convictions, dude. Like mm. it's so nakedly Elon Musk. Like it's a rocket guy. I mean, it's. It's a tech. It's not. His company is Alpha, not Tesla. And the A looks like the A in Tesla. And even the stationary looks like it's like got space for the Tesla, even though it's just the A. We've got this clean energy thing going on and the accusations <coughs> that he's just a, a grifter who steals other people's things. Yeah, that's, that's like the that's classic the narrative. The classic thing about Elon Musk is he's just a grifter who steals other people's things. And. And not a smart guy, actually. And actually a pretty stupid guy. Right. Who's just well positioned by some dumb luck. Right. Well, this is a good movie for making you not believe in a person who is that because it doesn't, the character doesn't, Ed Norton's character doesn't actually make sense that way. He's either really smart in a certain way, maybe dumb in others, but he's, he's not just an idiot. I, except, I, don't, except, I don't think that makes sense. The, yeah. It just doesn't, there's a lot that the, just doesn't The movie track. doesn't have internal logic. The movie logic. just asserts at the end. Yeah. 
and it acts like it told you all along that he's really dumb, like no. with the fax machine stuff, you know, with Leslie Odom Jr.'s character at the beginning. He sends faxes at all hours. It, that, none of it makes sense. Is he an, is he a genius or is he an, you know, insane? Oh, actually, he's just really stupid. That's uh, so dumb. Well, as you were pointing out before before we recorded, Ben, many geniuses talking malapropisms. Like, I, I, I'm not an idiot. I realized the movie was doing a thing where he didn't talk well but that's that's actually not the sign of a lack of intelligence that the movie right. actually the ability to communicate well and the ability to have an original thought generally don't go together in the history of humanity the people who are the really great communicators are not the people who are the really great great innovators I and mean, inventors uh, yeah and even even if you take philosophers who have changed our world like Immanuel Kant, Kant his books are famously terribly written and structured right like you have to decipher them but his ideas have changed our world right you know not for the better but maybe but anyway so it's just it's just it's just that's just lazy and it's like you have a flat view of how this works like life people well i, want to well, I don't about- know that he actually does i just think that he was lazy i think he knew where he could cheat okay maybe you're it right. is one of those movies where it i think the french have a phrase for this it's like a it's a refrigerator movie, Le Frig, whatever their stupid French phrase is. But um, <laughs> Le Cinema de Frigerator. What are you trying to say? Uh, because it's a movie where you enjoy it when you're watching it, and then later you go to get a snack out of your f- fridge before you go to bed, and you're like, wait a second. It's one of those movies where everything kind of makes sense and is entertaining in the moment. But then when you actually try and put it all together in your head, you're like, does any of this track? No. At all. Is this even a good mystery? Is this even a good story? Or is it just a kind of sh- shaggy dog, Norm MacDonald joke kind of story that just like, well, we tricked you into thinking you were, we were talking about one thing, but uh, hey, actually, we're talking about something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, why is that entertaining? I mean, the thing I wanted to say before we get off the subject about the whole halfway rewriting of the story thing is, I just want to drive home the point, like, yeah, it turns out that Janelle Monet is playing a character who's sympathetic and who has some rooting interest and who is interesting and who is vulnerable. But that doesn't make up for the fact that we have to put up with 90 minutes of her playing a different character who's cold mm-hmm. and off-putting. It's the same thing with Benoit Blanc, Blanc being an idiot for mm-hmm. the first 90 minutes. It's like, okay, you tricked me. It turns out neither one of them are actually that. But you didn't just erase the experience I had of having to put up with them being mm-hmm. that the whole time. It's like, I, that was 90 minutes of movie real estate where I could have been investing in rooting for this character. But now you get to go back and watch those 90 minutes with fresh eyes. No. No. I mean. And then watch it again with fresh eyes for the second half of the movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe if I wanted to. If I wanted to go back. I mean, it's, it's, it's the problem that I have with the, the Usual Suspects, uh, the classic twist movie, where it's like, it was really, Kevin Spacey was Kaiser Soze, spoiler alert for a 30-year-old movie. He was making up the story the whole time. And I was like, okay, that's a cool twist, but that just, that, you've just told me that in the terms of the universe that I've bought into, everything I just watched was just some random thing that Kevin Spacey made up. And frat boys will be like, Every movie is a random thing that someone made up. <laughs> the frat points are dumb. Like I want to buy into the eternal logic of the movie. I want to. I want the story to really happen in the movie. And if you just say, oh, "Well, actually, there's something that one character made up that 
had no real emotional stakes. I was like, no, I don't like that. I don't generally like movies where it turns out it was all in their head or it was all a dream. A dream. Uh, something like Fight Club works because even though Tyler Durden isn't a character per se, he's still a malevolent force that was affecting the movie. Like mm-hmm. Tyler Durden still exists as a character in the movie. He's just an imaginary character instead of a real character. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it doesn't yeah. actually change. But he's a real imaginary character. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like Edward Norton was still having these conversations. He was just having them with himself. With himself. But something that actually pulls the rug out and says the emotional Bruce stakes Willis that you was really interacting with Haley Joel Osment. Right. He was just a ghost. That's, that's, that's the key to why that movie works. Why Sixth Sense is actually a good twist. It's because the emotional stakes of the movie aren't undermined by the twist. Like everything that we were asked to invest in still matters. Even the alienation that like the scenes where Bruce Willis's wife won't talk to him and stuff like that. It's like, okay, we have a broader understanding of how truly alienated he is. He's dead. But we were still playing alienation before this. It's not like he mm-hmm. thought he had a relationship with his wife, but he didn't. So I really hate this kind of storytelling. I mean, I'm trying to remember whether Knives Out, I don't think it's guilty of the same thing. What Knives Out is like, you already have an emotional investment with Anna Darmus. You already kind of like the uh, Christopher Plummer. And then you double back and you realize, I really like these people and they're in a tough spot and she accidentally poisoned him and he wants to whatever the mechanics of the movie are i don't don't even remember so on a plot level uh, she didn't actually accidentally poison him chris evans yes chris, chris who, evans didn't either the, the the whole fun of it is chris <laughs> evans meant to and she being a good nurse intuitively grabbed the wrong grabbed the right thing because mm-hmm. she intuitively knew the viscosities even though the labels were switched. Right. But then when she looked at the labels, she thought she had poisoned him. So then he kills himself in order to cover for her, and that's the whole thing. Right, which is pretty fun. It's all, it's super it's really, fun. It's really fun. Yeah. But there again, you have Anna de Armas, and you're rooting for her the entire movie from the first second that you see her. You're like, oh, she's poor, she's downtrodden, she's put upon. All these other characters are jerks to her. I want her to... Mm-hmm. When, if she's the murderer, I'm going to be sad. But you're, you know where to invest. And the movie doesn't cheat you in terms of where to invest. This movie doesn't let you invest properly in Benoit Blanc for all the talk about him. And it doesn't let you invest properly the, the Janelle Monet character. It just wants to say, well, here's how you could have invested or here's how you should have invested mm-hmm. if we'd played mm-hmm. fair and given you, all, given you all the information at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, and who wants to invest in Janelle Monet? I mean, she turns out to be like maybe the most unpleasant person on the island right well both sisters both Jonelle monet's are <laughs> stupid characters actually i mean my my thought was you want to you want to find out the truth about your sister's murder cool i'm in with you then you want to then you want to avenge it like avenge like like a vigilante and destroy western civilization you know symbolically mm-hmm. burn it all down for the sake of the truth what about the truth that your sister andy like created this guy and this whole group of people what about, like, does she bear any moral responsibility for years and years and years of bringing everyone along into... It? I mean, if this guy is an idiotic buffoon who props people up through lies, then it seems like your sister should bear some responsibility for being the one to introduce him to the entire group and continually ask people and have people give him chances to influence their lives. But, you know, maybe that's just me taking the morality of the movie too seriously. It's I mean, like, it's you treating the characters like actual three-dimensional characters, whereas Ryan Johnson's just treating them... 
for all his skill, like props and a little puppet story. Yeah. I mean, we're not supposed to think three-dimensionally about any of this. It's just, I mean, it comes down to the most simplistic. For a guy who took Star Wars, the good versus evil story, and wanted to say it's multidimensional, uh-huh. this is the most obnoxious bad guys, good guys story that I think I've seen in a while. And it is just Elon Musk bad. I want the truth. Or if we get to, if we can burn down Western civilization as a joke, that's fun, huh? Because isn't that what we all want? Mm-hmm. Kill the past, let it go. Whatever, <laughs> whatever dude says. <coughs> burn those books of uh, Jedi what are, lore. What is it? The Yoda. I mean, <laughs> lightning. He's 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 got a thing, and he thinks he's on the edge or something, or he thinks he has a moral statement to make. But the only moral statement is he doesn't really care about the truth. Or I, he's just contemptuous. He's not thoughtful. You watch him in interviews, and it's particularly annoying because he is such a nice guy. He's just like, you know, I didn't really want to talk about Elon Musk. I just wanted to right. make a mystery that's set in in modern times and deals with the problems and that we have. And what one thing that we've been dealing with is these tech billionaires, and we all have a lot of thoughts, and we're all kind of afraid of them. But we all, you know, are they actually the gods that we of our universe that we make them out to be? Maybe we should ask some. Qu- you know, he's like, I'm just asking questions over here. It's like. I'd be okay with asking questions. I mean, Hollywood has a, a a rich history of knocking down the rich and the wealthy and the elites, and it's a fun thing that Hollywood does. And you could say it's just stupid and masturbatory and fake because it's always been the elites doing it. Um, <laughs> I mean, here's Ryan Johnson, uh, uh, the the millionaire, the guy who you know probably has mansions and cars, and I don't know what deal he made for <laughs> Knives Out sequels, but he's doing. Better than anyone in this room will ever do in our wildest dreams. And he's like, oh, those those billionaires, those tech billionaires. But but all that being said, I like seeing the stuffing taken taken out of the rich and famous. I like asking questions mm-hmm. of powerful people. But this that's not what this movie does. It's not asking questions about Elon Musk. It's answering questions about Elon Musk and answering them in the most stereotypical, reductive, simplistic way way 100 million yeah i knew it was something like that that's his payday for glass onion that's it's pretty good Netflix's contract it's no no no. sorry 100 million to direct two sequels okay still still good. he is edward norton he's not if, if he's any character in this story i mean down to the fact that he thinks he's smart and it's actually pretty stupid i yeah i was just thinking that i mean last jedi is not it's it's sophisticated but it's not smart not at all it's not. I mean, any movie that would have Rose, uh, the whole, don't sacrifice yourself, Finn. Now let's kiss while it's just cheap and pandering. And uh, I don't, have to, uh, I don't yeah. know. What else do you guys want to say about Glass Onion? That's funny parts. I liked it when Benoit Blanc solved Edward Norton's mystery in party. In five seconds. In five seconds. That's cute. <laughs> it was cute. I like the scene. I like it. I like it when the lights go off and it's like, well, maybe this movie's really gonna go insane and shake things up and yeah. do things that I didn't at all expect. I guess I, I like the idea. Well, that's one of the fun, that is one of the th- fun things your first time watching it is for whatever failings as a writer and director Ryan Johnson has, he does give you the feeling that he might just, he might just have something really fun or different or outside, mm-hmm. outside. Yeah. <laughs> the lines out out of the box that you weren't expecting maybe you should just shut down and just be along for the ride because yeah 
I had that feeling for a lot of the movie. And even just the fact that he he's the kind of creative that can that you have enough respect for as a creative to withhold judgment throughout the movie until it's all over, until you go to the fridge. Mm. I think that's... Yeah, it takes a certain... That's cool in and of itself. It, he may have ruined that or he may have undermined that. He may, you know, that, that may be gone, but I don't know. Like, I mean, I'll tell you who made the best refrigerator movies. Alfred Hitchcock. Like, his movies just carry you along and you, you'll love them. And then you're thinking about it later and you're like, wait, what? Why was this guy a murderer? Why? Alfred Hitchcock would solve, like much like Ryan Johnson, he would make sure that the mechanics of the story worked. But then the psychology of the story would just be whatever it needed to be to, to get the job done. So mm-hmm. we can have a psychologist stand up and explain Norman Bates in really simple terms. Uh, Psycho is actually a bad example because Psycho actually does track pretty well. It's just very simple. But, you know, something like North by Northwest, it's like, does any of the CIA stuff make any sense at all when you think two seconds about it? No, it's really, really Really wasn't the point you were silly. along for a really fun yeah, ride exactly a thriller and it thrilled you so shut up and enjoy your popcorn right and i might even be able to give that to this movie although i think it is sluggish it is about 20 minutes too long but the ending did leave a really sour taste in my mouth yeah and i, I just i just didn't enjoy a lot of the ride i found myself kind of outside of it from the moment it started just because of the characters i wanted to like i was primed to be with it because I like Knives Out a lot, but I was just like, I don't, I get it. These people, they're all terrible in ways that I'm supposed to find funny, but I'm just not interested in them. Yeah, I mean, I laughed at some of it. When uh, Dave Bautista's arm candy lady says, in your face, feminist, or something like that. That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's, it's such a cheap shot, but (laughs) I I enjoyed it. I like making fun of red pill guys too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel like maybe on on the spectrum, so I, I don't know, Jake, would you say you enjoyed the ride the most of the three of us? Sounds like maybe I did, but maybe I just haven't had as much time to sour on it. You know, I don't know. I still I mean, I don't ever want to see it again. I enjoyed it more than Ben. Like I I, I had a good an okay enough time while I was watching it. I thought it was uh when we hit the second half, I felt like it drug on going back and retreading things and going back and having all the conversations with what's her face. But now with a Southern accent, it was just like, come on. And doing all the emotional investment work in the middle that you kind of, I mean, I'm sorry. You needed at the beginning. I I know. I know it's fun to mix it up and have act one actually be an act two, but there's a reason that act one usually does certain kinds of things is because we have more patience for, laying in character at the beginning than we do in the middle. We want things to be moving in the middle. It's just how we're built. Yeah, I was actually, I I think just sort of going back in my mind, I think I was willing to say, okay, there's not an emotional sensor to this movie. This is more of a puzzle box type of a movie. I can be okay with that. I think I'm probably of the three of us most likely to be okay with a movie that's just like that. Yeah. I didn't resent the fact that there was an emotional center for the first 90 minutes. I just wanted the movie to move along plot-wise after that instead of grind to a halt and then ask me to retroactively emotionally invest. That's the thing that I was just like, oh, come on. Yeah. And where I felt like he broke the contract Hmm. and wasn't playing fair with me. Mm -hmm. like. 
you what you set up was a 90 minute puzzle box where the, the supposedly I should have seen all the details and clues in plain sight, but actually there was this whole other story going on that I couldn't possibly have have read until you told until you revealed it. Mm-hmm. And so and now you're asking me to emotionally invest in this character and all this stuff and and it was slow. Yeah. Hmm. And I don't know whether it's a flaw or a feature, but something that I don't like. Well, I don't know whether I'm just to dislike this or not, because it is it is baked into the movie's premise. It's baked into the movie's title, even the idea that it is so simple. Like obviously, anybody watching the movie is like, well, okay, Edward Norton's the the bad guy. He's acting like the bad guy. He's the megalomaniacal villain who owns an island. He's the James Bond bad guy. Like he's the bad guy, and obviously, he just poisoned Dave Bautista's drink. But it's not going to be that because that's too easy. And then the movie's like, no, you actually the simple thing it's was really dumb. Yeah, it's a glass onion. It was the easiest possible thing. And I get that that's baked in, but I still kind of resent it because I'm just like, yeah, I wanted something more clever than that. I and wanted, you wanted an actual puzzle box. I wanted an actual puzzle box, not a. I mean, it actually it's a great Janelle Monet getting the puzzle box is a great metaphor for what the movie does. It's like you think it's a really intricate puzzle box, but actually you can just smash it open with a hammer, and there it is. There's your answer. And that's kind of the movie. And it's like, okay, I get that that's a clever thing to do, I guess, but I don't find it as entertaining as Knives Out kind of doubling back on itself mm-hmm. and being real cinemas and twisty and, and fun. Like, I'm okay with Agatha Christie saying they all done it or no one done it every once in a while. But basically, when I go to these kinds of stories, I, I, I want them to play by their own rules. And this one kind of didn't. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what he well, does with the third one. This is, I think, this is the problem that Ryan Johnson's gonna, I mean, certainly run into with the third one, but run into with anything that he tries to, to dabble in more than once. He can only dig, he can only deconstruct things so many times mm. in so many different ways. Right. Oh, Ryan Johnson deconstructs the detective mystery genre one time is super fun and cool, but him coming back and not being able to say, well, okay, let's just do a fun context of standard mysteries that are fun and still clever in their own way but not ultimate de- like ultimately deconstructing the genre all over like well you can only deconstruct the genre so many times right in so many ways and before it just becomes a stupid reach that mm-hmm. makes everybody wonder why you hate the genre and are making a movie in the genre in the first place like and it is the difference with like like lord and miller we talked about them a lot. They deconstruct too, but they deconstruct with a certain reverence and affection that feels real in every one of their movies. Like mm-hmm. the, they can deconstruct the hero's journey in a Lego movie, but also they love the hero's journey story and they have a lot of affection for it. And it's meant a lot to them. And they still want this movie to mean a lot to you. Yeah. And, and to resonate on an emotional level and not just be like, ha. Huh. Everything I mean, sucks and the universe hates you and the universe hates me and I hate the universe and I sure hate you. Thanks for coming to my <laughs> movie, idiot. Pay me. Yeah. Like, which is all it ever feels like he's doing. And the, the Knives Out really is the, only, the closest thing to like, at least I enjoyed making this movie. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, Knives Out, I still resent. I, I, I think I like it a little less than most people. I, I, I think it's annoying that most of the characters in the family are so ultimately unlikable. 
Um, and I know there's some shades of gray, and it's more certainly more interesting than Glass Onion. But I, I still wish they were there was less caricature and more real characters in that movie, and less of the cheap shot, cheap like mm, this guy's mega. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, what 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 Ryan Johnson would say is. You do realize that Agatha Christie wasn't writing period pieces when she wrote her stuff. She was writing stuff that was modern. It's just become period pieces because people keep reading them for some ridiculous reason. Um, he doesn't say the last part, but uh, which is true enough. But I still don't think Agatha Christie was writing political commentary. She's not. She wasn't dealing with you know the mores and mores of her time. Like she didn't care. She just wanted to write a good story. And I wish Ryan Johnson would take that from her. Like all these things don't have to have a point with a capital p we don't need to understand something more about the world maybe sometimes we do but he doesn't have anything to say about it no his entire i think the closest he has to because what he has to say in last jedi is stupid and doesn't even make sense but it's actually the closest he's come to having a thesis statement all the benoit blanc movies really actually engage in is schadenfreude it's just these are the people that we can all agree we hate let's watch them watch them all come down get theirs yeah and Knives Out has it a little bit, although the audience that I was with, like I said, they cheered when she holds up the mug that says, um, whatever it says, My House, My, my Rules. House. My, yeah. um, so they enjoyed the schadenfreude of the 1% MAGA people suck and should be thrown out and replaced by us. <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all anadarmous. Um, they enjoyed <laughs> the us versus them. And this movie goes big with that. It's just like... Yeah, Elon Musk is an idiot. He doesn't deserve what he has. Wouldn't we all just love to break all of his things? Break all his stuff, burn him down, and then get his friends to turn on him and expose him for the fraud that he is. And I just, um, I don't like schadenfreude in movies anyway. I don't usually like revenge scenes. I think it's so hard to set up a character who feels fair in the way that he's despicable in such a way that we as an audience can actually root for his demise and really enjoy his demise i just find movies constantly go farther than i'm comfortable with in terms of like well you just set this guy up so we could knock him down like nobody's actually this nasty you just made him nasty because you wanted somebody for a as a common complaint with me even with movies that people love i'm not thinking of any good examples right now but but this movie in particular just felt like really we're going to have 15 minutes or whatever it is of like Edward Norton's stupid. And now his world's going to crumble and she's going to burn everything. And, and we'll it, take out the Mona Lisa for good measure. And we're going to do it in slow motion. And it's going to go on and on and on. You are really relying on your audience to have, feel the catharsis of the moment and to just fully find release them all just letting loose and destroying things. Right. And even which, it, you know, it's a 2020 movie. We've got the masks, we've got COVID stuff, and we've got BLM riots that summer. Yeah. <clears throat> He's super pandering. It's so pandering. I mean, I'm trying to think like if Edward Norton was a character that I hated, you know, if he was someone, if, if Edward Norton was an analog to, to AOC or to, you know, one of our villains. Would I be happy to watch him burn for 15 minutes? I don't think no. so. I think there's just something ugly about a movie that's like that wants you to watch anyone, any one of your fellow humans, just burn for 15 minutes. There's justice, and we all like seeing justice on in movies. We all like seeing Hans Gruber topple out of the building, you know, fall to his death. 
and I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a good instinct in people. I think it is fun to watch movies where bad guys get theirs. I don't, I, I think you can be overly, uh, sanctimonious if you think that we should never have a movie where a bad guy gets it like god made a world where bad guys get it we should be able to take some joy in that but spending just like just torturing the character torturing any character for 15 minutes or or whatever amount of screen time it actually is it's just like it just feels ugly and mean-spirited and well it doesn't it also doesn't have anything to do with procedures of justice it's just like i'm an angry woman who's decided to burn all your stuff and the movie is going to tell you that i have a right to do that right and it's just like no, that's not in, that's not interesting. It's it would not, be like moral. like if, if more Murder on the Orient Express plays with this. They all decide to take justice into their hands. They kill this awful dude that escaped justice. They do it together. Uh, Hercule Poirot decides to let him off. That's an interesting story. Imagine if he exposed the fact that they were planning on it, and then the last fifteen minutes was he was like, "Okay, go ahead," and then they all go in the bedroom and stab the guy. Like that's that's the equivalent of. But instead, it's even no, it's not even that's not even equivalent because what it's more like is he understands they all have this problem and this man has escaped justice and he suggests to them, well, one way to do it would be is if you all just sort of went in together, and he, I turned a blind eye to it and walked outside. That's right. Yeah, because right. he's the one that actually he says, well, I can't. Benoit Blanc's. I, I, I can give you the truth. I can't give you more than that. I can't do anything else. But, but I can give you a courage and uh, an idea. Yeah. Blow it up. I hate it. Yeah, I really hated it. I hate, I mean, it, it reminds me of the Sherlock episode in the terrible third season where you establish a really interesting villain and he's got like all the blackmail information in his head and he's going to go after John Watson. I don't remember what it all is, but then Sherlock just shoots him and that's supposed to be the solution and we as an audience are supposed to be on Sherlock's side at that point because there wasn't really any other solution and you know some guys just you just gotta shoot it's like no that's not what I like about Sherlock Holmes what I like about Sherlock Holmes is that there's an impossible problem and then it's not impossible because he's Sherlock Holmes I don't like him admitting defeat and then taking the shortcut taking the shortcut it's not fun it's not fun it's really not fun to even to watch John McClane do it. In a Die Hard movie, you want John McClane to be losing, losing, losing. And then at the last possible minute, he tries the most crazy thing. He's got a gun strapped to his back. They've got his wife. What's he going to do? And then <laughs> yippee ki yay. It all works out. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. That's the, that's the genius of movies like that in the sort of uh, maybe uniquely American anti-heroes. Like Indiana Jones is going to get beat up for you know, two and a half acts. And then he's going to have the one insight right. that allows him to step aside as the bad guys get their judgment and acted on them by whatever higher power is behind the driving force of this particular film. Right. So Indiana Jones just gets beat up over and over and over and over again and then realizes we better close our eyes or he's going to get beat up over and over and over and over again. But he's going to realize, up, oh, it's this cup. Right. He's going to get beat up over and over and over and over again. I don't know. Temple of Doom is its own thing. <laughs> well, yeah. Temple of Doom. That's one of the things that's disappointing about the ending of Temple of Doom, I think. It's a cool set piece. But what you love about Raiders of the Lost Ark is that as much as little Sammy Fableman wants to just kill the Nazis and blow them up and run them over and chop them up in helicopter blades, at the end of the day, it's not Indiana Jones who's wielding the power to destroy them. It is, in fact, 
God. <laughs> it is actually an act of God that destroys and brings judgment on the Nazis. And that feels good. That feels better than it would. If, As a direct consequence of their own irreverence uh, yeah, and greed. Right. And same thing with Last Crusade. And, there, and I think that's one of the reasons that people love those movies more than they love Temple. Um, or certainly more than they love the one with the ants. You want you want justice to be hard won, and you kind of want justice to be an act of God. You want, like, there's no way that John McClane could ever win, but somehow he pulled it off. You don't want, well, I 15 minutes ago, I figured out how to get the best of you, and now I'm going to spend 15 minutes destroying your life. It's just it's just not fun. That's, that's called the Steven Seagal movie. That's his <laughs> style of action. It's like, you never did have the advantage, and if you did, it's because I let you for a minute, and now I'm just going to enjoy Killing you painfully. I mean, that's more and more the action movies that we get. Uh, you, you know, it's like, okay, John Wick's just, none of these guys had a chance. Uh, and, I, and I, a lot of that stuff does leave a bad taste in my mouth. You Well, I mean, the thing about even John Wick is going to get, he's going to spend the whole movie getting beat. To yeah, at least, at least right? they're and, smart enough in those movies and, to beat the crap out of him, yeah. Yeah, they're going to beat the crap out of him. And in at least the first one, he's actually got a, uh, a buddy, he's actually got Norman Osborn out there to save his butt, right? And to take the fall. Yeah. And so it's like, even even the boogeyman has to luck into his success and have a, a buddy, a guardian angel, his own sort of like... And, and have a sacrifice that he has to make in order to win. Like, he doesn't get to... Right. John McClane walked over glass and bare feet. I mean, that's the whole fun of Die Hard is that they didn't cast Schwarzenegger. They cast Bruce Willis, who feels out of his element, who feels overmatched, who feels like just a cop doing the best he can, you know? I mean, that's why people love that movie and go back to it. Same with Rocky. Yeah, same with Rocky. Same with all the greats. I mean, it is, yeah, sure, it's fun to watch 90 minutes of Commando where Arnold Schwarzenegger just massacres people, but you really want even with Arnold, like you want the other Terminator to be better than him. You want the Predator to actually have the advantage. Like the the best Arnold movies are the are are ones where we bring an alien from outer space or a superior robot, like something that we think can actually stop the godlike Austrian that is Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't just want to watch him knock other people down. Uh, so I'm not sure. I'm trying to think like how I would rewrite. Like if I wanted to write a satisfying ending for Glass Onion what I would do. I mean, you have to, I guess you'd have to come up with a way that Edward Norton's own arrogance, like maybe he just accidentally burns the Mona Lisa. I mean, that'd be dumb, but, um, he did. I mean, that's the whole thing is his own arrogance was setting up. Johnson's got you covered like on paper. He's got you covered on paper, but it is just on paper. It is his own arrogance. He did. He's running his whole Island on this power that he should never have been meddling with. And that's the thing that's going to, you know, clean. As you compare that to Knives Out, where Chris Evans is one prop knife away from murdering the crap out of Anna de Armas, and it's like, that's a much more satisfying ending when Chris Evans feels like he's actually going to do something really dastardly, and then at the last possible second, oh, he's just a buffoon. Mm-hmm. That, that just feels much better than, like, Anna de Armas is going to push the button that's going to make the things, you know, fall on Chris Evans, like, in slow motion. And as you've alluded to a couple times now, Ben, the fact that Ryan Johnson does actually want to point a middle finger at Western civilization itself. It's just most, it's most famous Lisa. totem. It's just hubris. It's, 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 it, it, it does just feel like you, you hate the last 
thousand years of Judeo-Christian civilization. Yeah. And I you, want and, the truth. I want the truth. The truth is you created this reality too, lady. Look at the plot of your movie. And and you got a hundred million dollars to- Your sister did. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you, and Ryan Johnson lives in a civilization, like there's a direct lineage from the Mona Lisa and the patronage system to him getting a hundred million dollars to write these stupid movies. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the classic irony with these Marxist types. Like, you're going to write a Marxist tweet on your iPhone? You're going to use all the powers of Hollywood to tell us how stupid the elites are? Like, get a clue, Johnson. <clears throat> all right. Anything else to say about Glass Onion? A Knives Out mystery. Nope. Better luck next time. I hope the next time his subversion is to not subvert things. And Benoit Blanc can be like, I expected things to be subverted, but actually it's a traditional plot structure. What a surprise. (laughs) Uh, Sounds great. (laughs) I bet there's more Hugh Grant in in the next one. No question. Uh, Ben, how many? Should have been Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. You're just going to tear everything down. That's a fun idea. And Pierce Brosnan kind of, he has that look, the look of the emaciated former formerly muscular old queen these days so it'd be perfect but how many what's the thing in this movie onions yeah okay how many onions well (laughs) you put it that way and suddenly (laughs) do you want to give it all the onions because yeah (laughs) zero onions is for a perfect movie (laughs) (laughs) but a hundred onions is for a movie that made you cry at how terrible it was Oh, by the way, we talked about, if you haven't listened to our Clueless episode yet, folks, because it didn't come out, but Clueless has, well, the, the big drawback to it is it has a lot of skin, which you'll hear us talk about. This movie also, uh, it's probably worth noting, it has its share of the human body on display. Yeah, it's, less, true. it's less, I guess you could say, family-friendly than Knives Out. It is less family-friendly than yeah. Knives Out. Yeah. I mean, not not more, one of them's like a kindergarten movie. Sure. But. This one's just more crass in general. It's more crass. It's, oh, and the cheapness of we're going to have this girl play the eye candy character the whole time. And then at the last possible second, we're going to have like, actually, she's in on it and got her own. She's got her own angle and she's not a bimbo. Yeah. Uh, whatever. So annoying. She's, she's just a victim of idiots like Dave Bautista. Right. She's got to play the role. Oh, my goodness. That all women have to play if they want to get ahead in life. No irony about Ryan Johnson making her actually play that role like, to get ahead in life. Yeah, here's an actress that surely would love to play any of the parts besides that one. She can't, but the one thing that she has is her sex appeal. And so well, let's exploit that and then comment <laughs> on it. And as an actress, let's hope that I this launches me into doing something that's actually good. Are you not entertained? Oh, my goodness. I mean, at least Anna de Armas. It's onions all the way down. Yeah. It's onions, <laughs> onions all the way down. <laughs> it's onions all the way in? And yeah. I don't know. I just keep peeling layers. It's a glass whatever. onion. Uh. It's completely transparent. He's just an idiot. It's just <laughs> dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. I do like Benoit Blanc's criticisms of the, of the game Clue. Well deserved. There are. He's a fun, Ryan Johnson's a good writer. There's a lot of funny stuff in this movie. And I laughed heartily a few times which is a few times more than I usually laugh at a movie. Ben, how many onions? Remember Out of 100, that? higher's worse, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know how unfair I'm being. Like I said, it's, it's gotten sourer and sourer the longer I've thought about it. I think maybe I'll, I'll give it like 80 out of 100. I don't, know, I don't know if that's 
Okay. It, I'm trying to adjust to this new rating scale. So, so I, I can't tell if I'm how off base in which direction or, or not. So if a hundred so if higher was better, then you're giving it twenty out of a hundred. Yeah. Okay. So it's like one star. A one it's star. like it's like one star. Maybe that's too harsh. Uh, you know, it's 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 certainly a better made movie than that. Uh, the, but, the experience of watching it is not a one star. No, experience. it's it's not a one star experience. It's just the ideology, like processing it. You're like, man, what a mean, bad movie. So I I don't know. That's probably a little harsh. <sighs> I might be with you, uh, but Jake, what do you think? And higher is better. No onions are bad. Let's go back. To- <laughs> onions are bad. Onions, onions are bad. Are bad. So, onions are bad, so the more onions, the worse. The so if you worse. gave it, a, so if you think that this is a despicable piece of crap that no one should watch, you give it a hundred onions. If you think it's a masterpiece, you give it zero onions. <laughs> I'm giving it. It's all so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dumb. <laughs> I'm giving it fifty onions. Yeah, it's gonna go either way. I want to give him craft points in a world where nobody mm-hmm. gives a rip about craft. Yeah, I understand the feeling. I do. I I, I get that. Although his craft does suffer in this movie, and I've it is much sloppier than that. Knives Out. Yeah. You can yeah. feel if Knives Out feels like I had five years to write this script. This feels like Netflix gave me a detail and a deal, and I had a year or six months or the whole pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he still. I think I think he still deserves to be held to. He got cut out of Star Wars, or cut himself out of Star Wars, or the narrative's not really clear. He's not <laughs> doing it anymore. Who so knows? this is, Benoit Blanc is his future, and he took. Two or three years or whatever. I mean, the thing is, this is the one of this in, in its first days of release is shot to the one of the top 10 most watched things on Netflix. People like this. It's doing well. He has mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, there's nothing else to watch on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. <laughs> Netflix sucks. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I mean, Ben talked about that one. <coughs> um, ah, yes. Yeah. Netflix is a watch better call Saul or... Uh, yeah, there's a couple of legacy shows that still have deals with Netflix. It's like got that. some anime. You got to watch Avatar, Last Airbender, or mm. Naruto, or something. Mm. What did me and Meredith watch? Oh, we watched The Darkest Hour, that Winston Churchill movie. That was pretty okay. But the, oh, that was only because we'd watched Slow Horses over on Apple and really enjoyed it. Um, I'm trying to decide. There's a part of me that wants to say, no matter how good the craft is, and no matter how engaging the experience of watching the movie was, that it is such a ultimately mean-spirited experience that it's it, mean that it deserves zero onions. I mean, it really is just you, uh, you, uh, zero is perfect. Sorry, yeah, that it deserves because I love mean-spirited things. No, <laughs> that it deserves a hundred onions. I mean, it is, it is, it is despicable. It is, it is just like this kid did well in school, so we're gonna kick him and assume that he cheated on his tests and it is just reverse bullying. It's like anyone who yeah. is actually successful. There's no merit to it whatsoever. It's an empire of lies. Right. It must be a liar. He probably stood on the back of someone who was actually smart. And we didn't talk much about Edward Norton's performance. I usually like Edward Norton just fine. But, man, this is such a... So you're going to hear in the future us talking Clueless, and I will talk about how Cher in Clueless is a perfectly conceived and acted character because Alicia Silverstone does not play her as though she's in on the joke Alicia Silverstone plays her sincerely. And there's actors who wink at you when they play characters who say, hey, you know, I'm smarter than this character or I'm better than, I'm not as evil as this character. And an example I use there is George Clooney, you know, Brother, Where Art Thou? A performance that I like in a movie that I like, but George Clooney is obviously smarter than the character that he's playing. And he wants you to know that. Boy, 
Edward Norton, this is like such a good example of the bad version of that kind of acting. It's like, here's a guy that is smarter than the character that he's playing or thinks in a very smug way that he's smarter than the character that he's playing. And he wants to telegraph to you how dumb his character is and how evil and venal his character is. And it's just a really lame (laughs) conceit and a bad performance and uh, just boring to watch Edward Norton's considerable talents be used that way. Given what this represents, I almost want to punish it more for this craft. Like, as one of the only guys who knows how to tell a story that's left in the world, you should be held to a greater standard. So, yeah, I'll I'll give it uh, seven. No, crap. That's really good. I'll give it 94 onions. We're not glass. How many onions would you give to Bob, our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winner, Ben? Just a couple. Bob's great. He's not perfect, so I can't give him zero, but... (laughs) Give him two. Yeah. A couple onions, just, one, just one for each hand. That's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is it that makes Bob so great? What do you guys think? He's a palindrome. He's a palindrome. He is. I've actually been saying it backwards this whole time. Fun fact. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, he's just he's transparently awesome. Yep. You look through Bob and all you see is heart and soul <laughs> all you see is heart and soul and a skeleton bob's got a great skeleton good job bob thank you for being our patron choice award of awesomeness winner yeah Beth onion sucks ryan johnson sucks western civilization sucks now <laughs> thanks to ryan johnson let's burn it let's burn it <laughs> let's burn it <laughs> <laughs> oh boy until next time it's just dumb it's just dumb <laughs>